Hello, and welcome back to the Speak Up Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Lively, and I hope everyone is enjoying the array of collegiate sports happening right now, and it's going to be an exciting month of postseason play. Well, speaking of college sports, on the podcast this week, I am joined by ACC Network UNC play-by-play broadcaster who does so many different sports, including soccer, baseball, volleyball, and women's basketball, and he's also a producer, Matt Krause. We'll be talking about how he has learned to commentate on so many different sports, breaking down some of UNC's top programs, and lots more. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with other sports fans. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Matt Krause. Well, welcome back to the Speak Up Sports podcast. I'm Anna Lively, and this week on the podcast, I am joined with a UNC broadcaster, producer, anything broadcast-related for sports here at UNC, Matt Cross. Matt, thanks for coming on and joining me. Anna, thank you so much for asking me, and I'm so happy to be here uh, talking sports with you. Well, I'm excited to dive into lots of UNC sports, but before we get there, I want to talk about your college experience. I know you went to Elon University, but when did you know that you wanted to have a career in broadcasting? I knew that I wanted to get into this sports broadcasting world all the way back when I was in third grade. Um, Wow. Yeah, I was very into sports and knowing all the players and, you know, their storylines and fun facts, but was very unathletic myself. Uh, And and so I just developed that passion, was talking uh, constantly around friends and family about sports and would talk people's ear off. And, you know, people said, oh, you should turn this into a career. Um, And I decided to start pursuing it all the way back then and never gave up on it. Love that. That's so fun. So that's a really young age. You, you knew you had that passion for, but I know you started commentating for the Burlington Royals while you were still in college and also post-college, but what was the first broadcast experience like for you? And what were some of the biggest lessons you learned through that learning process? Yeah, absolutely. I first started doing play-by-play uh, the scene, the year before my senior year of high school with a mm-hmm. college summer wood bat team in Alexandria, Virginia, called the Alexandria Aces in the Cal Ripken Collegiate Baseball League. Um, and I knew next to nothing about the X's and O's of play by play. Um, I thought I did, you know, anytime that you spend a lot of time listening to and watching games, you absorb things by osmosis, right? But no one can simply roll out of bed and be instantaneously great at it. And so the opportunity to get get reps, uh, to have the ability to put on the headset and get better so many times throughout those early years, whether it be in that role that I did for three seasons. Um, you mentioned the Burlington Royals and the old Appalachian League. That was a position I was fortunate enough to land while I was still in school uh, for the summers of 2014 to 2017. And then all of the experience that I got at Elon, uh, whether it be women's basketball radio, whether it be some of the Olympic sports on the the video stream as that technology was really getting up and going in the early part of the last decade. 
it afforded me the opportunity to have countless on-air reps and being able to just get better by experience um, was so instrumental for me to be able to make those mistakes and to be able to receive feedback and uh, to be able to understand, okay, this is truly what I want to do and what I enjoy most in my career. Right. Yeah. That's cool to hear about you talking about like, obviously you had those reps before, but also learning as you went. And since you had so much experience starting from a young age, you could continue to like grow in that in college, you know, during the school years, but also during the summers as well. But I know you now commentate so many different games for ACC Network, ESPN broadcast with such a variety of sports for UNC here from soccer to baseball, volleyball, you know, and so many more, you know, how do you prepare differently for each sport and like juggle such different games that you have to call relatively in a close time span between each other? That's a really good question because for example, here we are in early November and fall sports are still going. So football, your soccer's field hockey, volleyball, and basketball starting up. And Mm -hmm. then in the spring, you run into a similar overlap situation where we have both basketball still going, baseball, softball, and both of the lacrosse's start up. So there's definitely points in the year where, as you said, I am juggling so many different sports. And the, the truth is that the preparation is only slightly different sport to sport. So for example, like baseball, softball, you want to have more storylines because those are inherently slower games right. and afford themselves uh, the opportunity to tell more stories. But the bigger difference to me is the medium or whatever role I'm in in that particular uh, event. So we'll use the example of bouncing between TV play-by-play with ACC Network Extra and women's basketball radio play-by-play. And for radio play-by-play, having the basic information and the who and the what of each team close to memorized, if not completely memorized, is the number one key and goal because that sport moves so fast And in radio play-by-play, you're describing everything that happens for an audience that cannot see what's Mm -hmm. going on. TV play-by-play, you're captioning the pictures, if you will. There's such a team element of TV production, whether it be working with your producer and your director to tell the story as best as possible, um, or working with an analyst, you know, for women's basketball radio, I work solo. So it's just me. And on TV, I have an analyst. So there's so many different, uh, different personalities, not only that you have to be on the same page with, but that good storytelling, you all have to understand where you're coming from, and what you want to convey to the audience in terms of the storyline of the game. And so understanding more broad storylines, more human interest stories. How can I tell something as a graphic or if my producers come up with a graphic, don't launch into that story whenever I feel like it. So the preparation, not necessarily sport to sport though, you know, there are lots of uh, niche rules in some sports that you have to make sure you're on top of game in and game out. Um, But the preparation of differing roles is, uh, is different for me. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think it gave some good insight on really the differences of how you have to prepare for, as you said, like radio versus TV, just because of in and of itself being able to see or not see the game. And then all those other aspects as well that really contribute to the game as a whole to like learn like what best works with the team if you're doing the radio versus like graphics and TV, all that stuff. But speaking of UNC sports, I know I've been getting into a lot of sports this fall. You know, it's exciting to cover different teams. I know you've probably enjoyed it because there's so many strong UNC teams here. I know, you know, when you think of UNC, big sports school, but all across the board, sports are so good. But I want to dive into a few of them a little bit deeper, but I want to start with soccer. I know we You've commentated on that a lot, but what have you seen from these squads now that we're in November, you know, getting ready for the NCAA tournament in the terms of, you know, women's soccer, since they were upset in the ACC, you know, what do you feel that they need to do to really make a a deep run and hopefully maybe win that national title? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great time of year for soccer. As we sit here and chat today, the, the selections are right around the corner for the NCAA tournament uh, on the women's side, the Women's College Cup this year is in Cary once again, basically in Carolina's backyard. Uh, and both soccer teams have been fixtures in the national top 10, top 15, the majority of the season. But yet the storyline to me is similar for both programs. You know, women's soccer kind of limping into the NCAAs. And that's something that Anson Dorrance has been very open and honest about with the media, especially after that pit game in the ACC tournament quarterfinals, uh, you know, he said that he was concerned about his team's lack of ability to turn quality chances into scoring opportunities. And right. you look at drawing four of the last five games of the regular season, um, several of those draws in there, one, one draws. And it, it's a situation where it's like, ah, Carolina could just get over the hump. Um, and, and be able to convert a second goal, you're looking at three points instead of, of instead of just one and perhaps an ACC tournament first round by instead they had to play in that first round, the, the quarterfinal round and were eliminated by a pit team that came into Dorrance field and pit deserved to win that game. I mean, mm-hmm. I just said that some of those draws were games that Carolina dominated when you look at possession and shots and shots on goal and corners and uh, all the other various, ways you can quantify uh, a team's ability to control a game, but Pitt, both from the numbers and from the eye test controlled that game. Uh, You have to give Emmy Allen and goal a lot of credit for Carolina because she kept them in that game deep Mm -hmm. into the contest um, with some terrific saves as Pitt got chance after chance in the first half. So Long story short, the the women's team needs to figure out a way to convert those opportunities into scoring chances, especially when you run into quality teams in the postseason where you can't dominate the possession and you can't dominate shots the way you can against, say, a bottom half of the ACC or a middle of the ACC kind of team because the you know Anson's kind of a victim of his own success and that he has created women's soccer as a bona fide NCAA um, 
popular sport, both among spectators and a sport mm -hmm. that schools want to spend money on, right? Right. And, and so as a result, there's so many different schools that have gotten so much better in women's soccer. And, and it makes the task of winning a national championship all the more difficult. And so there's going to be a lot of quality teams out there uh, as the tournament goes along. And then on the men's side, it, it's a similar story in the sense of, okay, can this team wake up uh, offensively consistently? Carlos Simuano is big on his team playing at the tempo required to be successful against mm -hmm. quality opponents. But the truth of the matter is Carolina has not given up more than one goal in a game at any point this season. All three ACC losses were one nothing defeats. And we saw in the first round of the ACC tournament when Carolina played Virginia Tech, they exploded for four goals, took control mm -hmm. of the game. And that's a team that looks like they could make a deep run when right. they're playing at their best. But if it's a, a team that uh, is able to shut down Carolina's offense and the Tar Heels concede one goal, that may be enough to, to earn a victory, as we saw in some of those late ACC games. Yeah, I, I like that you talk about really it sort of seems like the consistency factor. It's really sometimes the offense for both teams respectively seem like they're sort of on and off sometimes, even with, you know, like as the men's side, you know, on to multiple different goalies, as you know, obviously firsthand because they've had injuries on the goalie side. But, you know, Martin Vishian, he's had a few days with some some few goal performances with, you know, being a, a good transfer for them. But it really comes down to that. I know. They play Wake again, who they lost to earlier in the season, but not by much, as you said. You know, they haven't given up very many goals each day. But And then the women's side always seems like they have, like, a target on their back in some way or another. You know, even though they have some of the top ACC players, just the offense seems to become a little stifled lately. So it's going to be interesting to see what adjustments they make because they have that bigger break that they might not have been expecting since they got kicked out in that first round of the ACC tournament. Yeah, absolutely. The first round of the tournament was uh, last Sunday, as we sit here and talk now, and with the selections coming out and then the tournament not beginning until Friday or Saturday of the ensuing week, that's nearly two weeks without a game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that gives valuable training time um, for the program to try mm -hmm. and not only rest up and get their legs back underneath them a little bit, but also go to work in the lab, mm -hmm. so to speak, on some of the things that were plaguing Carolina offensively. So it could turn out that um, that break was a little bit of a blessing in disguise, but we don't know until they play the right. games. And that's why we love it, right? No, exactly. And that's literally what Anson Doran said after, because I was filming it for one of my classes. And that's really what he highlighted, as you just said. They haven't been able to practice for this stretch in you know weeks, months, per se, you know, because they have games in and out of the – you know, entirety of the whole fall season. So it's going to be interesting to see what the results is, as you said, is it going to be good? Are they going to wake up or, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that end. But speaking of women's basketball, I know I'm excited because we've got, you know, some potential to be a good, strong team this year. You know, Alyssa Utsby, really strong coming back as one of the captains, could be a potential WNBA draft pick, but what are you thinking about women's basketball coming into this season and off of last season, really seeing if they could make a deep run in March madness. Yeah. It's another year where women's basketball is an, a contender in the ACC. And this is perhaps the deepest roster 
that Carolina has had in Courtney Banghart's tenure here. You mentioned Alyssa Usby. She and Deja Kelly are all ACC players coming back for another season. They're now true seniors. Both of them have another year since they were freshmen the year uh, of the pandemic in 2020 into 2021. Um, but they are in their, in theory, final campaign at Carolina as seniors and the Tar Heel program went into the transfer portal to really bolster uh, some of the core around them, bringing in Lexi Donarski, former Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year from Iowa State, who's also a really capable three-point shooter, uh, shooting up around 35%, if not higher, for her entire career with the Cyclones. And then Maria Gokdang, who's a, a familiar face to ACC fans, she was a major rim protector for Boston College the last couple of years, transferring within the conference. Uh, both Donarski and Gokdang have a pair of years of eligibility remaining. So it's not just a rent-a-player situation. They're going to provide a core that Carolina can build around. And something I love about the scheduling philosophy of the Tar Heel staff is they are not afraid to say, okay, we want to be a national contender. Mm -hmm. Let's go out and act like one and let's put ourselves on the national stage. So by Christmas, Carolina will play in theory, Iowa, the Tar Heels and Iowa are in a Thanksgiving tournament in Fort Myers, where it's, it's one of those bracketed events where sure. you're not guaranteed to play, but if the bracket holds the way it's supposed to, they'll play for the championship in that event. Then a guaranteed home game against South Carolina. We know what South Carolina has done recently under Don Staley. They'll mm -hmm. be in a bit of a rebuilding mode this year, um, but they're still loaded up with talent. And then a matchup, what uh, technically on a neutral floor at the Connecticut Suns Arena at the Mohegan Sun Hotel and Casino in Connecticut against UConn. Yeah. And much like South Carolina, we know what that team is and what For they sure. are capable of. Uh, and so this gauntlet of a non-conference schedule provides such tremendous opportunities for this group on a national stage and i'm excited to see how it plays out because as we know the acc always tough always difficult always deep uh, virginia tech went to the final four won the league last year they're expected to be good once again notre dame especially if olivia miles can play uh the majority of the season they're expected to be good and be a contender uh but carolina very much has the pieces to challenge any of those teams um, and compete in the ACC and then hopefully make a deep run come March. We'll see. Yeah. You, you highlighted all those, you know, big matchups, as I said, you know, as always Gino with UConn and Don with South Carolina, as you stated, like they always have lethal weapons. They always construct and do such a good job of recruiting. So those are going to be some big matchups. But as you said, like, UNC, Courtney Banghart wasn't afraid to be like, hey, let's play these big opponents. Let's see what we can do. And then we've got some big transfers that have made an impact already, like with the live action event, you know, with Lexi and Mar Maria. And, you know, they have chances to to really make a deep run and see see how that chemistry can work out. Because definitely, at least speaking for when I saw the live action, the pace of play was something that was interesting to me as well, because they just seem like they have like such a quick pace of play. And that can really bring some good aspects to their game if they can create some, you know, mismatches in the, the respect of when they play other opponents and those opponents aren't as fast as them in place of play that could come back to be, you know, a positive. So I'm looking forward to that. But la last team I got to ask you about when it comes to the Springs, 
spring is baseball. You know, we've got a huge recruiting class of freshmen, some of the top prospects possibly for any team that is going to be joining the ACC and then some transfers as well. Obviously we've got returners that are strong, but what are you looking forward to about that baseball season? Because for me, I mean, this team could make it to the, the college world series. What are your thoughts? Easily. Uh, this is definitely the most talented group that Scott Forbes has had in what's now his uh, fourth season as Carolina's head coach. As you said, the Tar Heels, and it it varies every year, you know, how the draft impacts you. Um, but as much as the shrinking of the MLB draft down to 20 rounds caused uh, a little bit of a consternation among folks that are big time pro baseball fans or follow the minor leagues. And unfortunately the, you know, many markets um, losing their minor league team in that contraction a few years ago, what it's done is it has paved the way for legitimate prospects uh, to come to college campuses and play their three years uh, and, you know, capitalize on NIL and everything that being a modern college athlete, provides and Carolina with its mix of success, its brand, its weather, its stadium, you name it. There's so much that uh, a potential college baseball recruit would want out of Carolina and Scott Forbes and his staff uh, recruiting really, really well. And, you know, the NCAA baseball tournament is always just such a, uh, it's such a matchup driven uh, who's hot, situation right. um you know sometimes you get the these teams that are are talented teams you think back to like an old miss uh two years ago when they won the entire thing right they were one right. of the last teams into the field but they were just playing really well in the month of june then you get a team like wake forest last year who was a wagon all season long uh didn't win the acc tournament um but they were they were dominant in the regular season behind that pitching staff and then they put that on display come postseason time and rode it all the way to Omaha. So uh, long, long answer short is that this is definitely, I would say, Carolina's best chance to make it to Omaha since their last trip uh, in 2018. And mm -hmm. should be a lot of fun come springtime because there is a uh, there's a talented group uh, excited to see Jake Knapp step into the Friday role, uh, he was really coming on strong as the uh, Saturday, Sunday starter uh, down the stretch on the mound last year. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Vance Honeycutt's in his draft year. And right. all the rumblings that I've heard are that some of these young players, some of these transfers are really, really special. Uh, and it's going to be a very deep group and, and a fun spring to come. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm excited to watch it and see. And as you said, you know, they've got the depth this season. You've you got a lot of new pieces, but they've had this fall to sort of like see how those can all fit together. And then Honeycutt being one of those big leaders on the team. And I'm excited to see it. Cause as you said, when it comes to postseason baseball, truly anything can happen, both college level. And I think MLB level is fair to say too, after this, this year's postseason, but um, it's always fun to see who's, who's going to make that deep run. If, if you can get into the tournament, anything can truly happen on that end. So I'm looking forward to to seeing what what baseball's gonna what it's gonna do here in Chapel Hill. Absolutely, and shout out Zach Gallen, uh, former Tar Heel, who got to pitch twice in the World Series. His yep. Diamondbacks came up a little bit short, but definitely underscores your point that if you make your way in, that's all you need, and right. uh, you, you never know what's gonna happen. Yeah, and he he really pitched well. He gave some 
two strong outings for, you know, the Diamondbacks did all he could in his affair. He even took them six innings, no hit in game five. So he really did UNC proud there. It's going to be exciting to hopefully see him win a world series one day as a UNC alum. But, but I always do to finish off the podcast, Matt is what I call my favorite five questions. So what is one piece of advice that you would give to the next generation? Biggest piece of advice I would have is to uh, to broaden your skill set as much as possible. Even if your dream is to do play by play, or if your dream is to be a sideline reporter or a journalist or podcast host, you name it. If you have one singular goal in mind, figure out how to do other things uh, and, and figure out how to be versatile how to make yourself valuable because there's a lot of people in this uh, sports media landscape that want to do what people like me are fortunate enough to do. And uh, the ability to make yourself versatile, really, really important. Um, I didn't truly grasp and realize that I think until I started producing games a few years ago, but being able to juggle play-by-play and producing has allowed me to really solidify uh, my niche here at Carolina. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. All right, give a shout out to someone who has made an impact on your life. Someone that's made an impact on my life. Um, Professionally, the name that immediately comes to mind is a gentleman named Taylor Durham, who is the radio voice of Elon football, men's basketball, and baseball. Um, He is the son of the late Woody Durham and the brother of Wes Durham. Uh, Woody, obviously, the longtime voice of Carolina football and basketball, uh, who preceded Jones in that role. Um, And Taylor took me uh, under his wing at Elon and allowed me to do a lot of games while I was a student with him uh, and helped me get my foot in the door at the company that's now Learfield that's time as IMG College. And so if Taylor didn't utilize his connections and uh, help me along, then I would not be able to be at the spot where I'm at um, in my current role today. Love that. That's so awesome. All right. Well, Matt, I know you're a busy person. You go producing, commentating, but if you had an off day and you could plan your ideal day, how would you want to spend it? Oh, man. Uh, Number one, I would probably want to sleep in, um, especially now during crossover season. Sleep is optional. Um, But (laughs) I, uh, I would say Probably just being able to be present and spending uh, quality time uh, with my wife and my dog. Um, you know, they are uh, the the leveling force, if you will, uh, when I come home from being busy. So uh, just being able to uh, do something with them, um, actually be able to uh, you know, cook a nice dinner, get outside um, and really stay as far away from sports as possible. I think that a, a true day off, you got to be able to uh, recharge a little bit. Ooh, sounds like a good day to me. All right. What is a sport that you haven't commentated on that you would want to? Uh, motorsports. Um, I have been a big NASCAR fan since I was four years old. Uh, I got into watching uh, watching them crash, and I thought that was cool and just mm-hmm. kind of stuck with it. And obviously, that's not a 
Uh, and that's not a sport um, in which there's a lot of opportunities uh, to call. And it just seems so different uh, from any sort of traditional stick and ball sport. So it's definitely on the bucket list. I don't think I would ever want to be like the lead voice of it and give up, you know, the football, basketball, baseball, soccer uh, portfolio of the world. Um, but it's definitely something that I want to try at least once. No, that sounds like a fun one to try for sure. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, if you had a superpower that can make the world better, what would you want it to be and why? Mm, a superpower that could make the world better. See, that that modifier is important there because if there was a superpower that could make uh, my own life better, it would be finding a way to um, make every day daylight savings day and turn back the clock so I just have more time in my day. Um, but to be able to make the world better, um, I would think uh, I'd go with the ability um, – I think the ability of people to teleport, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Save time um, on commuting and and things like that. And Zoom, Zoom is probably the closest thing to it. You know, uh, mm -hmm. that, that that's a big help. But um, yeah, being able to teleport and uh, not having to spend time traveling around, that would be pretty darn cool. No, that would be really cool to save yourself from the long car trips or even the long flights and you just get there mm -hmm. right there. You'd have so much extra time. It'd feel like daylight savings time if you exactly. had that extra time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, those uh, those ACC teams in the future are going to want that uh, having to go to Cal and Stanford and Cal and Stanford coming east. So we may be on to something here. Yeah, for sure. I love that. But thanks, Matt, for joining the podcast and sharing your broadcast journey thus far, producing as well, but also just breaking down and talking some Carolina sports with me. And I'm excited to see what happens with these fall sports teams. You know, field hockey could win a national title, you name it, but also winter and spring seasons as well. My pleasure, Anna. Thanks so much for having me. A lot of fun to chat. And uh, this was this was definitely a great opportunity to talk Tar Heels and talk broadcasting, a couple of my favorite topics.